0: Hey, greetings, everyone. Lieutenant Colonel Allen West, and welcome to the Steadfast and Loyal Podcast.
1: We Before they burn it down
0: This episode of the Steadfast and Loyal Podcast is brought to us by our friends at the United States Concealed Carry Association. The USCCA helps responsible Americans like you prepare for what happens before, during, and after an act of lawful self defense. USCCA members get life saving education, expert training, plus self defense liability insurance. These benefits provide more than 500,000 USCCA members with the peace of mind that they deserve. Plus, a USCCA membership is always risk free with their 100% money back quote unquote bulletproof guarantee. Membership is truly an investment worth exploring. Click Learn More below right now to activate your United States Concealed Carry Association membership. Click Learn More right now. And remember the USCCA is not an insurance company. A policy has been issued to the USCCA by Universal Fire and Casualty Insurance Company. That policy provides the association and its members with self-defense liability insurance subject to its terms, conditions, limitations, and exclusions. And, ladies and gentlemen, if we continue to have violent criminals released back out onto the streets, you have the right to be able to defend yourself, and the USCCA will make sure that you can have a proper defense of yourself if it comes to a legal court hearing. We'll be right back. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Steadfast and Loyal Podcast. I am joined with, as promised, Robert Earl Woodson Sr., a true mentor to me and an incredible man. He is the founding president of the Woodson Center, 1776 Unites, and Voices of Black Mothers United. He is an influential leader on issues of poverty alleviation and empowering disadvantaged communities to become agents of their own uplift. Woodson is a frequent advisor to local, state, and federal government officials, as well as businesses and philanthropic organizations. His social activism dates back to the 1960s when, as a young civil rights activist, he developed and coordinated national and local community revitalization programs. During the 1970s, he directed the National Urban League's Administration of Justice Division. Later, he served as a resident fellow at the American Enterprise Institute. He is the recipient of the prestigious John D. and Catherine T. MacArthur Genius Fellowship Award, the Bradley Prizes presented by the Lynn and Harry Bradley Foundation, the Presidential Citizens Medal, the 2018 William Wilberforce Award, the Heritage Foundation's 2020 Salvatore Prize for American Citizenship, Hillsdale College's Freedom Leadership Award, and many other awards and honors. He is the author of several books, including On the Road to Economic Freedom, The Triumphs of Joseph, How Today's Community Healers Are Reviving Our Streets and Neighborhood, Lessons from the Least of These, the Woodson Principles, and the newly released number one bestseller, Red, White, and Black, Rescuing American History from Revisionists and Race Hustlers. And I'm sure many of you have seen Mr. Woodson on either Tucker Carlson or Laura Ingram. Sir, thank you so much for joining us here at the Steadfast and Loyal Podcast.
1: Pleased to be with you, Colonel.
0: You know, we were just up there in Tinley Park, Chicago, suburb I mean Tinley Park, Illinois, suburb of Chicago for a black conservative summit. And you bring up so many great points. Things that I remember growing up in the old Fourth Ward neighborhood, uh, in Atlanta, Georgia, there, Sweet Auburn Avenue. What happened in the black community where we went from this thriving community, I was born in 61, where we had the two-parent households, we had good quality education, small business entrepreneurship, and look where we are today. What were some of the contributing factors? Because you've been out there on this battlefield for quite some time, and you've seen it.
1: Well, first of all, thanks for having me. But uh, let me just say the disclaimer is the reason that we're in this mess that we're in today a lot of us are. It has nothing to do with the shadow of slavery or <laughs> Jim Crow. Are you kidding me? I thought I, it was I all wish, about. I wish it were the problem. It'd be easier to fix. Yeah. I tell people I was born during the depression in a low-income uh, black neighborhood, um, and it, with 98 percent of all households with a man and a woman raising children, I never heard elderly people could walk safely in those communities without fear of being assaulted by their grandchildren. I never heard a gun fired, never heard of children being murdered in their cribs. Uh, none of these uh, these so-called uh, heinous acts were uh, prevalent in this low-income black neighborhood and, and and so what what has changed is not what white people have done in, in a sense but government policies since the 60s, did more to destabilize families, undermine neighborhoods in the name of urban renewal and poverty alleviation. Uh, it's just been a tragic. We went from in, in 1980, uh, in 1965, 85 percent of all black families had a man and woman raising children, and now that's under 30 percent. Yeah, all within a few decades. So it was a helping hand that destroyed us and also this, this somehow allowing we are permitted the rich legacy of the civil rights movement to be hijacked by liberal progressives and, and visiting and using it as a bludgeon against the country and that's one of the so it's a combination of, of retreat on the cultural front abandonment of the principles of family and faith that was the foundation of our survival From slavery and Jim Crow. And those values are being attacked and assaulted. And that's why we've got to push back to defend those values.
0: You know, you're absolutely right. And uh, Jason Riley who is uh, on the editorial board of the wall street journal wrote a book called please stop helping us. <laughs> and, and he, he articulates exactly what you're saying. And when you sit in, like I said, when I remember seeing doctor's offices and lawyers on black owned black owned bank, citizens trust bank there at, uh, at, Piedmont and Auburn Avenue, uh, all the things that I saw cool, good quality education, um, That was indicative of the community that that I was brought up in. That was indicative of of our community. And you said something there uh, a couple of weeks ago that just absolutely floored me. You know, he said you said that the the answer to segregation should not have been integration; it should have been desegregation. Can you expound upon that?
1: Yeah, I I, I've split with the civil rights leadership in the late sixties on that whole issue. I believe we incorrectly argue that separate is inherently unequal. Whenever you argue something is inherently unequal, you're saying that anything is all black is all bad. Mm-hmm. So, the, uh, and, so the opposite of segregation is desegregation, and pluralism is the goal. And, and I, I was debating this with uh, Julius Chambers, the uh, black lawyer, head of the NLBC Legal Defense Fund at the time, a Harvard lawyer, before the New York Bar Association, and midway through that debate, I said, Julius, we have two circumstances. A, there's an all-black school where there's a presence of educational excellence, and, and school B, it's integrated where there's diminished excellence. Where should we send our children? He said, to school B. I said, then, then there's no debate here. I said, that is flawed. We, what we should do is what Marva Collins did in Chicago, and that is a, a disaffected public school teacher started the East Side Academy in a little uh, rundown neighborhood where she took children that the, the public schools couldn't teach with special needs and, sh- and they began to flourish. White parents began to, to bring their children into the East Side Academy because it should be the presence of excellence that we should be pursuing and then the byproduct will be integration.
0: You know, it's amazing that you made that so simple and that you think about all of those black owned businesses, uh, you know, taxi services, busing services, everything, the educational aspect, the, the historic black colleges and universities. But then all of a sudden, you know, those things disappear. And we got focused on something that, as you said, it was not about excellence. To me, it was more about acceptance and being, you know, in in certain spheres and in certain communities or certain areas and arenas, but we sacrifice being victors in order to, you know, in a way, become victims. How how do we correct that? Because to me, it's it's a mentality because it's gone on now for about fifty some odd years. How how can we correct? This?
1: <laughs> well, I, on the twenty eighth of uh, no. Um, 18th of April, I'm, I'm, I did a show of Dr. Phil, and, I, <laughs> and uh, that's going to air on the 18th. And this question was asked by me about reparations and all. And I was asked about what is the answer? What should black people do? And I said, for a year, we need to stop whining about white folks. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that ain't happening.
1: <laughs> Just stop talking about what white folks have done in the past. Yeah. And focus on what we accomplished in the presence of of Jim Crow. We yeah. should focus on uh, on Sweet Auburn Avenue, uh, mm-hmm. the Black Bottom in Detroit, uh, the Darnsville section of, of Chicago. In 1929, we had 731 black owned businesses, a hundred million in real estate assets there. That's just one city, and we were denied access to hotels. We built our own, yeah. the Wallahaji in Atlanta. Yes. And I could go on, name all of them. We did this by financing it ourselves. We didn't worry about being redlined. And so I, so nobody, uh, there, there, there's nothing dis- more discouraging when you con- t- continually bombard people with their inability, their incapacity, and say to them, unless white people change, there's little you can do for yourself. That is the uh, essence of white supremacy. It's... <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, it's that, soft, it's that soft bigotry of low expectations that says you can't achieve this standard. And so you, we will lower this standard to a point where we think that you can make it, but that's not the history that is out there. And so when I continue to hear about, you know, 1619 Project and, you know, we got to focus on all of this that happened in the past, but yet it's a selective focus on what has happened in the past. We're not, we're not talking about the incredible business entrepreneurship. We're not talking about a Madam C.J. Walker, who was the first black female millionaire long before Oprah Winfrey come along comes along. And when you look at our system of education, which has become more of a system of indoctrination, how do we correct that? Because The public schools, the teachers' unions especially, they don't want to see success in, I believe, a lot of these inner city communities.
1: Well, what we did at the Woodson Center with our uh, 1776 Unites essays, we turned them into curriculum. We had 85,000 downloads in all 50 states. Wow. And one of those, in the military, you're talking about the Golden 13, you know, Mm -hmm. in 1943. Naval, blacks were not naval officers, and Elna Roosevelt persuaded her husband to tell the Navy to train them. Well, the Navy said they're going to give these 16 uh, cadets in eight weeks what they give white cadets in 16 weeks. Well, when these brothers found out about it, they covered the windows in their barracks and stayed up all night and studied. And when they were tested, they scored in the 90th percentile. Yeah. And, and then... They said they cheated, so they retested them individually, and they scored in the 93rd percentile. To that, to this day, Alan, those test scores were the highest ever achieved by anyone going through that account. Today, that record still holds.
0: Now, that was the 1940s.
1: 43.
0: And if you listen to the rhetoric today— We're supposed to believe that that's not possible. On top of the fact that people don't even talk about it. There are so many people out there, white, black, Hispanic, Asian, I don't care. They never heard about that. They don't know anything about it. You know, other than the fact that a movie came out years ago, people don't know about Tuskegee Airmen. They don't know about the first black naval aviator in the movie that just came out, you know, last November, which had a poor showing in the box office. Why is it that we have a suppression of all of these great stories in the black community, but yet we want to elevate the victim story.
1: Because our civil rights organizations have morphed into a race grievance industry. They were the ones who migrated from civil rights leaders to uh, black elected officials. They were the ones who have been running these cities for the last 50 years, expending the $22 trillion from the government poverty program, where 70% of that money goes to a lot of their friends and they only look for problems that are fundable, not issues that are solvable. So we created a commodity out of, of poor blacks uh, and the caretakers of those are other middle, middle-class blacks. So we're locked in a, 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 a paradigm where we, there is no incentive to promote independence and self-sufficiency. So we use a race to deflect attention away from this incompetent relationship and this this toxic relationship. As long as we got white people to blame, then they won't look at uh, the motives in our own eye.
0: You know, and it talks about that in the Bible that it says you should not be complaining about the speck in your brother's eye when you have a log in your own. You know, you and I were talking about this issue, and this is something that I've always believed. This is no longer about political parties this is about philosophy of governance this is about ideology this is about getting back to fundamental principles and values and you said uh, incredibly so that blacks you know got to stop worrying about republican and democrats can you finish that thought that you you shared
1: yeah if you go to any low-income uh high crime area in this country you cannot tell me which political party is in power you cannot tell me which political philosophy is in power low income people particularly low income blacks have no permanent friends or permanent enemies just permanent issues i want blacks to be swing voters i want them to vote intelligently so people will have to compete for their votes and not do- what's the biggest voter suppression is apathy yeah. If you go in these cities like Washington D.C., Detroit, Newark, and all, you will find in local elections in low-income black neighborhoods the turnout is under eight percent. So, but no one addresses the apathy that is suppressing the black vote, and, uh, because they're not giving any choices.
0: You know, and and and, and instead the the progressive socialist left insta- establishment will say that the voter suppression is because of, you know, Georgia want to have accountability in election laws or whatever. They're not talking about that apathy.
1: Not at all. In fact, the states with the most stringent voter registration laws had the highest black turnout.
0: In Georgia, my home in state. In
1: Georgia and, and, and other places. So this this is a phony issue, man. They'll do anything to deflect away from their personal responsibility, when I, I have a, a listing of people who what I call the black robber barons, a whole <laughs> listing yeah a whole a whole listing of black elected officials like Ray Nagan, yeah. uh, Bill Jefferson, Chaka Fatah, uh, I can go on and on. People who have been guilty of what I call treason, that mm-hmm. they were elected to serve their people and they use it to enrich themselves at the expense of their people, and race prevents them from being held accountable. There's never any outrage when a black elected official like Kwame Kirkpatrick in Detroit and 42 of his thugs uh, just literally raped the the pension funds of low-income workers in that city, and he went to jail and was released. There's no outrage. There's no indignation. There's not even any discussion of it. And, and, and many of these same uh, robber barons then come out and run for office again.
0: Yes, they do. And what was it, Marion Barry? Uh, Marion
1: Barry did. Uh, Mel Reynolds, yep. who was a pedophile who had sex with a teenage uh, girl in his campaign and went to jail. And he was released and went to work for Jesse Jackson in Operation Push. His family is in poverty living in a public housing development in, in Boston, but no one looks at, and yet he, he ran for, uh, for re-election uh, for his old seat against uh, Jesse Jackson Jr. See, these are the issues that we're, we need to be discussing. Where is the moral outrage at this treasonous behavior? No, we are preoccupied with, with racism. And I, I, that's why the whole issue of, of reparations and racism is a deflection. Yeah, it's a head nod. <laughs> yeah,
0: it's a fake on the basketball court. It's a court.
1: fake. It's it's a fake.
0: You know, let's talk it's about let's talk about the organization Voices of Black Mothers United because I really believe, as I said up there in uh, in Tenley Park, that Black mothers, Black women, have to reassert themselves. And they have to say enough because we're losing our children. We're losing our children to, to murder. We're losing our children as far as education. We're losing our children as far as the sexualization of, of the children. So tell us about the Voices of Black Mothers United.
1: It's led by Sylvia Bennett Stone, a longtime consultant trainer with us, whose 16-year-old daughter was viciously shot to death while sitting at a, in a car along with her girlfriend. And she turned that pain into purpose. And she said that no one wants to hear about the Black-on-Black crime. And so she has now organized thousands of mothers in 23 chapters around the country. They have come together to uh, give voice to the 80% of Black Americans who, who by polls, do not support defund the police. But they are, we took out a full-page ad with these mothers supporting the police. We have events in Victim Rights Weeks all over the country where we partner with the police five of our locations, the mothers work for the homicide department division and and to uh, develop trusting relationship between the the distressed parents and the police. And as a result, they have closed more cases in those cities because of distrust. So this is our attempt on the part of our to give voice to those mothers and so that they can help each other. So every day Sylvia gets a call uh, because 35% of these mothers, after about seven years, many of them end up take, committing suicide mm. or die from what they call broken heart syndrome. And so Sylvia tries to set up a support group among moms, and she's talked many of them out of suicide. Wow. That's and a so sad it's, thing. It is.
0: You know, you have such a wealth of wisdom and knowledge. As we wrap up this interview, what is Robert Woodson's golden nugget to share with the audience here at the Steadfast and Loyal Podcast?
1: It's, what? First of all, I'm a cardiac Christian, and my political philosophy is radical pragmatism. <laughs> and I believe that all of the stress that is happening that God is preparing us for a revival. Amen. That the highest, uh, and I believe that we must prepare ourselves for this revival by focusing on what we accomplished in the past, that people are motivated to change and improve when you show them victories that are possible. And that's what we must do to convince people that these values of faith and family of this country are worthy of support, but we must demonstrate it. I just finished watching The Chosen and everyone should watch that series. But when the service of John the Baptist came to him and said, are you the one or do we seek another? We must do what Jesus did. And that is heal in their presence, do things that help improve and redeem people's lives and then tell doubters to go back and tell what you saw. Yeah.
0: Well, without a doubt, the body of Christ, this is a moment for us to answer the call and to step up and, as it says in Romans 12 and 1, not to conform to the world, but transform the world through the renewing of our minds. And I pray that that revival is coming. I pray that that renewing of our minds is coming. And you will, without a doubt, will be an instrumental part of that. So how can people follow you, uh, the Woodson Center, 1776 Unites, and Voices of Black Mothers United? How can people follow and support?
1: You can go on our website, which is woodsoncenter.org and 1776unites.com, and you will see a complete uh, 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 description of what we do. You can contribute, um, go buy the books. Lesson: I have two books, Lessons from the Least of These, that represents a compilation of all my experiences and knowledge that I've gained from the people I serve. And then uh, the other one is 1776 Unites, which is very uplifting. And we have an uh, a animated series coming out, Alan, uh, on, uh, that we hope to be producing for children. That's very inspirational about figures from the past who have achieved great things that we don't know about.
0: And that's so important because we just recently saw, I don't know if it was Comedy Central, or whatever, this Proud Family cartoon where it had the kids talking about slavery and racism. We have got to meet the left at every point where they try to infiltrate and influence society and culture. And that's exactly what you do. And it's an honor to have had you on this podcast. And hopefully you'll come back again.
1: I'd be delighted to.
0: Thank you so very much. Robert L. Woodson Sr., founder and president of the Woodson Center, 1776 Unites, and Voices of Black Mothers United. God be with you, and thank you, sir. Thank you, Alan. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for being with us on this episode of the Steadfast and Law Podcast. A special thanks to a man that I look up to, truly a mentor as a young black conservative, and that's Robert L. Woodson, Sr. Hopefully you enjoyed his insights and thoughts and perspectives. Such a brilliant man. And if you like this podcast, please click the like button, share it with others, because we're here to make sure that you're better informed, better educated, better activated to preserve this great constitutional republic. Until next time, steadfast and loyal.
1: Before they burn it down